Amen, amen. <clears throat> good morning, church family. It's good to see you again. Uh, man, we are, as Patrick said, we're in this uh, second week of Advent. And if you're not familiar with Advent, uh, I promise the first service, I'm not going to talk about what Advent is at the beginning every single week. But I feel like at least the first two weeks we got to talk about it. Um, it it's, it's a way that Christians have been celebrating the coming of Christmas uh, really since the earliest days of Christianity. It's not practiced at all churches. So like your church wasn't evil. If you grew up in a church, they weren't evil because they didn't celebrate Advent. Um, but Advent simply means coming or it means arrival. Okay. It means coming or arrival. It's supposed to be a time in which we wrestle with the idea of what it must have been like for those before Jesus had come and when Jesus had come, as they were waiting on the Messiah, God's people had been waiting for God to send someone to rescue them. And they were waiting and waiting and waiting. It must have seemed like it was never going to happen. So we want to take time during Advent to think about how awesome it is that Jesus Christ did come and fulfill so many of those Old Testament prophecies. But we have to also acknowledge that we are still waiting today. We're not waiting on this Savior that we don't know to come as they were. We're waiting on one that we do know. We're waiting on Jesus to return to the earth and finally and fully redeem those who have trusted in him and to restore the world. And so last week, we pretended to light the candle of hope because we didn't have our decorations up, but we do now. And it was really, really awesome. Thanks to everybody that came out and helped on Sunday afternoon. Uh, we knocked it out in about two hours, everything that you see outside and inside. It was incredible. I think Kenny will maybe mention that at the end um, as well, but um, it was really incredible. So we lit the first candle, which represented hope. And so we're actually going to recap some of that message if you missed it last week, because uh, it's a big part of where we're going today. But this week, as, as Patrick already said, we lit the candle of peace. Um, so we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9. Go on and turn there in your Bibles. Um, sometimes I jump right in and read it, but I know some of you may struggle to find Isaiah. All of you may struggle to find Isaiah. It's a tough one. If you have to use the court, the, the book of con, the book of content, what's it called? Table of contents at the beginning. That's fine. Um, just do it. Do you just don't worry about it. Nobody's looking, no judgment today. It's Isaiah. Um, but Isaiah is what we call one of the major prophets. So there's a whole section at the end of the Old Testament that are our prophetic books. The first few are the major prophets. The last 12 are the minor prophets. Isaiah wasn't any more important. That's not why he's called a major prophet. It simply means that his writing is longer. Uh, the minor prophets are all really short books. Um, so that was all just time filler information to give you time to find it. All right. So now we're there. All right. Uh, I'm going to read verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah chapter 9. And then I'm going to pray and then we'll come back and study through uh, this idea of peace, okay? The word of the Lord says this. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Let's pray. God, again, we thank you for your word, God. We thank you for the opportunity to study together, God. I pray that through the work of the Spirit in each of us that have trusted in Christ, that you would make this text come alive for us today, God. As we look at a lot of different places to get an idea of what peace is, God, I pray for understanding today, God, for all of us, myself included. And God, may we all understand who you are a little bit better today. God, teach us to know you and be with us as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, 
I uh, performed a, a, a poll this week, uh, took a poll uh, this week of the entire world. Um, <clears throat> why y'all think I'm laughing? Um, but I, I didn't. But I think if I were to take a poll of the entire world and ask, do you want peace? I would say that 99.8% of people, I'm leaving a 0.2% for some wackos, but I think 99.8% of people in the world would say, yeah, man, I want peace. Like I, I want that. When we look at the turmoil and pain in the world, it would be nice to experience peace. I think that's probably across the board. And if that's the case, if, if, if peace is something that you and I really desire and that the people that we encounter really desire, then verses like Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 should not just be something that we put on our wall at Christmas time. Like it should be something that we study and we ask the question, what does this mean for us? Like this is, this is one of those passages that should be studied and considered really important because here is a place that speaks of peace in a way that we need to understand in our world today. And so we're going to answer three questions today, three important questions about uh, these two verses. Okay, so I'm actually going to give you all three questions. If you're a note taker, you don't have to jot them down. I'm going to give them to you as we go. But I just want to show you where we're going. What does peace mean is the first question we're going to look at. What does the Bible mean by the word peace? The second question, who is Isaiah talking about? Who is this prince of peace that he refers to? And the third question is why in the world does it matter for us today? And so that's where we're going, okay? If you've got more questions, you can talk to me after. But these are the three we're going to address today, all right? Number one is this. What does peace mean? What does peace mean? Now, Isaiah here is speaking of a child, a son, who's going to do some really incredible things. When you read the text, like, he's doing some incredible things. He's being called some incredible names. But the word for peace that we often think of as peace is used twice in this text. And I'm going to, uh, during Advent, I like to, we all, I like for us all to try to learn some Hebrew words so that we can impress our friends over lunch. Okay. And this, this word, the word for peace that's being used twice here is the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom. And if you have a Jewish friend, like you've heard that word before, um, shalom. And the first use of it, the first time Isaiah uses it is clear at the end of verse six, he says, prince of peace, prince of shalom. Right? So this is some sort of person who understands peace or controls peace or something. We'll talk about that. But when we just read it, when we see, when we hear that someone is Prince of Peace, I, I'll, that sounds like somebody I want to meet, I think. Like, I think that's somebody I want to meet. The second place we see peace is a little harder to see because of the way it gets translated. Um, in my Bible, your Bible may not translate it, but in verse 7 it says the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. That word prosperity is the word shalom. Uh, some versions of the Bible keep the word peace there, um, but but it's this, this is the word shalom. And so the worst thing that we can do, okay, the worst thing we can do as good Bible readers is to see a term like prince of peace and go, I know what a prince is, and I know what peace is. I know what it means to be a prince of peace. Like, that's an assumption that's very, very dangerous. And my granddaddy taught me what it meant to assume things. And the same is true when you're studying the Bible. When we study the Bible, we cannot assume that we understand what the text means. Instead of that, instead of assuming, we want to ask the question, is what I think of peace is that what Isaiah was thinking of as peace? 
Are we, th- are we talking about the same thing? And the answer to that is a resounding yes and no. Yes and no. You see, peace to us in the most simplest form. I took this from the Oxford Dictionary. So I don't know if that's trustworthy or not, but that was the first one that popped up on Google. All right. So the Eng- people in England at least believe this is what peace is. A period of time where there is no war. Agree? That's what most of us think of as peace. A period of time where there is no war. We think of peace as the absence of war. Now, the Bible absolutely, definitely includes that in its definition of peace. For example, Joshua 9.15. You don't have to turn there, but uh, this is a period of time in which God, uh, Moses has already led God's people out of Egypt, and they're beginning to conquer the promised land, and they, they've, they've kind of, uh, they have possessed some of the land. And these, uh, these uh, very deceptive people from Gibeon come in and fool Joshua um, into thinking that... Uh, um, anyway, you just got to read the story for yourself in Joshua nine fifteen. But this is what Joshua. Uh, this is what we find out about Joshua. So Joshua established shalom with them, peace with them, and made a treaty to let them live. And the leaders of the community swore an oath to them. You see, I, Joshua here makes a peace treaty. That that's familiar language for us. This was a symbol that they would not war with these people. Shalom here, peace is the absence of war. But if you start studying where shalom is used, and I don't do that to impress you because I paid thirty dollars for online software. I don't know. I don't know Hebrew. I have software that helps me understand these things. You can go buy it too. Logos.com. It's a great software. You should buy it. That was a plug online. Uh, maybe they'll send us some royalties, and we can buy Christmas gifts for a Christmas house with it. Um, but. But I use this software, and what I'm able to do is I'm able to click on a word, and then what the software does is shows me every time in the Hebrew Bible that word's used, every time in the Old Testament. And it's super cool. And so there were a lot of them. So to tell you I read them all would be a lie. So I don't want to lie to you today, but I read a few of them, several of them, okay? Enough that I could stand before you not sounding like a doofus, okay? But what I found is that I quickly realized the word shalom goes so much deeper than that. And it can deal with health, not only with safety and security, which is kind of what we were talking about before. It can also mean health or well-being. In Genesis, uh, Joseph is having this interaction with his brothers um, in Genesis 43. And he asked if they were shalom. He asked if they were shalom. He's asking about their well-being. And then he asked about their father. Ask him if, if, if he is good. And then their response is, our father is shalom. He's He's alive. He's he's well. He's he's doing good. You see, this is a very common way that we see shalom used in the Bible to refer to well-being. But the most general way, the most broad way um, that it's used in the Bible is to mean complete or entirety. I'll say a great example of this is Jeremiah, which is another one of the major prophets. Chapter 13, verse 19. Jeremiah prophesies about a warning from the Lord. He's talking to the people of God during a period of time in which they're being disobedient. And he says this, Jeremiah 13, verse 19. The cities of Negev are under siege. No one can help them. All of Judah has been taken into exile, taking shalom into exile. Except my Bible translates it as completely that they were taken completely into exile. But it's the word shalom. So it's clear that shalom 
does not equal an absence of war because it was through war that the exile occurred. And there's so many verses like this to help us see that shalom can carry the idea, yes, of safety and security, but also of well-being and health, but also complete and wholeness as well. This is why the Jewish people, even today, will speak shalom to one another. It's not, how's your mom and them? Like, that's what we do in the South. But to, a, to the Jewish person, when they say shalom, when they speak shalom over someone, they're not, you're not just asking God to keep them from conflict with others. You're not just asking God to give them good health. You are asking God to keep them whole, to give them a complete life. It's a word of blessing, safety, security, yes, health, well-being, yes, but it refers to the whole of a person. The Hebrew word for peace is most certainly a deeper meaning than what we often think of. Now, why did we do that nerdy dive? Because this is what good Bible readers do. We study, we ask the question, does this word mean what I think it means? And then we studied the scriptures and we realized, no, there's more going on here. And my favorite thing in the world to do, guys, is what we're fixing to do. Now we go back to the text. You see this? We started there and we saw this word Prince of Peace. And then we went to the rest of the Bible and we said, what does peace mean? And now we're coming back with that knowledge to read Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And tell me it don't deepen what's going on here. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Dominion will be vast in its prosperity, its shalom will never end. And he will reign on the, th- on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. You see, this coming child that Isaiah speaks of is bringing more than an absence of war. That would be awesome for God's people during this time. But this son is supposed to bring completeness and wholeness to God's people. That's different, isn't it? It's heavier, isn't it? So to answer the question, what does peace mean? We can easily say this, and this is just my definition. If you're a note taker, you write your own based on our conversation. But peace is a state of completeness in regards to every aspect of who we are. And so now, I ask you at the beginning, we all want peace. We agreed to that. And if, if, if this Isaiah passage is speaking of someone who is the Prince of Peace, don't you want to know that guy? But now let me ask you again. If peace means what we just talked about it means, how much more do you now want to know this guy? A lot is my answer. I don't know about you. Who wouldn't want to be able to look at their life and say it was complete in every way, lacking in nothing? I want to know the Prince of Peace. And so we ask the second question, who in the world is Isaiah talking about? Who is this Prince of Peace? And to think through that, we've got to first ask Isaiah himself. This is really important. We've got to ask the question, because we're going to get to Jesus. We're, we're Christians. We know, oh, it's talking about Jesus. Before we get there, let's ask Isaiah. When he was writing this, did he have someone else in mind? See, Isaiah was a prophet around 740 B.C. We know this because at the beginning of his book, he said, ah, I'm writing this during the, king, during the reign of King Uzziah. So we know when that happened. 
However, in chapter 6 of Isaiah, we see in the year King Uzziah died. So now we know he's dead. Um, And what the rest of the Bible tells us is that there's this guy named Ahaz, who is Uzziah's son. I mean, grandson, I think. In chapter 7, we find out that Ahaz is now on the throne as king. And he was not too great of a king, but we don't get all that story here. That's in Second Kings. But in chapter 8, Isaiah speaks on behalf of God against the people of Judah. And they've, they've not been pursuing God and his wisdom. And as a result, Isaiah says, There is a coming exile that will begin at the hands of the king of Assyria. And he paints this terribly bleak picture of what God's people are going to go through. So right before chapter 9, we see these words. God's people will wander through the land, dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and they're going to look upward and curse their king and their God. And they'll look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction. And they'll be driven into thick darkness. You might want to sign up for that. Some of you are like, yeah, I've lived that. I know what that's talking about. You see, chapter 8 ends with this heavy darkness, a bleak outlook for the people of God. But then chapter 9 comes. Chapter 9 brings hope immediately because it's into the darkness, into the bleakness that the Prince of Peace will be born. You see this? The hope that Isaiah is speaking of is that a new king will soon be born. There is hope coming very soon. Most scholars believe Isaiah's readers would have thought of this as the actual son of Ahaz, who was Hezekiah. So imagine Isaiah speaking these words. Like there's a fa- like there, this is all coming. This terrible stuff is coming because we've been disobedient, gloom, affliction, darkness, all this stuff is coming. But then he begins to speak to God's people about a hope that's coming, a son that is going to come and he's going to reign on David's throne and he's going to be he, he's going to he's going to uh, be a prince of peace. And Ahaz has a son named Hezekiah. What is the natural A plus B equals C, right? Like God's going to send someone to restore things. And our king just had a baby. This must be the guy. This must be the one. The king who's going to bring restoration to God's people. And if you remember from last week, 2 Samuel 7, in there God promised David, that one of his descendants would set up a forever kingdom. Well, guess who Hezekiah's great, 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 great grandfather was? David. David. So Isaiah and the people are viewing Hezekiah. As he comes into the world, they're like, this is the guy, this is the guy. They're pumped. They're doing some sort of medieval form of chest bumping. Like, that's what's going on. They're fired up. But if you go read the rest of the story about Hezekiah, you'll find that his time as king was riddled with bad decisions and arrogance. And so the reader, the the hearer of Isaiah is left wondering, was that it? You ever been to a movie that everybody said was awesome? Like all your friends, every newspaper. You remember when we had newspapers? Like every Twitter was a buzz about this movie. There we go, whatever. Like everybody was talking about this movie. And then you show up at the theater and you're like, oh, I can't wait to see this. 
this is about to be awesome. And ten minutes in, you're going, you been there? I have. Time and time again, when Kelly and I were dating, we watched this movie. Oh, man. It was, uh, oof, I'm going to offend somebody, I think, if you really like this movie. Uh, it was like a live remake of Pocahontas. Y'all remember that movie? Smith, maybe was what it was called? New World, A New World. Anyway, probably like circa 2003. It was a big buzz. Like it was like one of the, but I forgot like in the Disney cartoon, they both spoke English. Like Pocahontas could like miraculously speak English from the very beginning. She couldn't in A New World. So the whole time they don't talk to each other. They just like point at stuff. For 45 minutes, it's them getting to know one another by pointing at stuff. And I was like, I'm done with it. Like, I can't. I, don't, I need dialogue. Like, I need something to help me along. Anyway, that was an example that I didn't share with the first service. But, um, but like, there's those things. There's those, and what are you left saying? You buy all, you go to the movie, you buy the tickets, the popcorn, the candy, the soda, and it stinks. And what are you left asking? Is this it? Like, this is what all the buzz was about? Imagine being the people of God. This is what Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. It's the buzz. It's the, hey man, a king is coming. And then Hezekiah is born and everybody's like, yes, yes, yes. And they begin to ask, wait, wait, wait. This is it? Is this a forever kingdom that was promised us? This guy is the prince of peace? Is this what it feels like to be made whole as a people? Thumbs down. This prophecy... Though probably originally pointing toward the new son of Ahaz, Hezekiah was also added because people began to realize this can't be it. It gets added to that ever-growing list of unfulfilled messianic prophecies we talked about last week. And we know now as Jesus' followers that it's him. It's Jesus who comes and fulfills all of these prophecies. Jesus comes to the earth and more accurately fulfills all these prophecies. Even even more than Hezekiah, somewhat maybe fulfilled some of these things. Jesus comes as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal father, and the prince of peace. In my own study, I think it's this, I think it's Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 that the angel Gabriel is kind of riffing off of when he tells Mary he's going to be great. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. The, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. I think that's in the mind of the angel Gabriel. Jesus is this ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. He is the Prince of Peace. So we have to ask the question. We're going to answer the question, If who is he talking about? Jesus, right? More than any other king that Israel ever had, more than any other good preacher or pastor in the past, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, <coughs> which sounds super cool. Like as a follower of Jesus, to be, to be one of the people who are following the Prince of Peace, that's a neat thing. But, we got to ask the last question, because if we ended now, y'all would go, yeah, cool, Heath, uh, Jesus, Prince of Peace, thanks for that sermon. we got to ask this question, number three, why does it matter? Like, we can call him Prince of Peace, we can put it on our wall at Christmas, but why does it matter to those of us in 2022, almost three, almost went there? Why does it matter? All right, so here's what you need to know. I've never been the called the Prince of anything. Okay? Like this is language we're familiar with. We don't usually always use prince, but we'll use king and queen. I'll give you an example. My wife is the queen of Mario Kart. 
And there are some of you in the room that can testify. And we're not going to ask for testifying. We're not going to ask for that today. I see one nod already. All right. Brandon's nodding. He knows. Kelly is the queen. Why is she the queen? Because she's the best. She wins 98, 99.8. We'll go back to that. Like she wins most of the time against whoever she plays. Right? You could say somebody's the king of movie quotes. There was a period in my time where my friends would have maybe labeled me the king of movie quotes. Because I just, why? Because I, I, I'm familiar with movies and I've, I've got this, this wealth. Maybe, maybe I can quote more movies than anyone else. When we use king and queen language like in this kind of jokey way, that's what we're talking about, that they're the best or they, they understand something better than anyone else. And so when we say that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, is that what we mean? Jesus is the best at peace. Nobody does peace better than Jesus. Is that what we mean? Or that he understands it better than most people? Can't be. When we say that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, we mean so much more than that. And the words of Jesus help us with this. John fourteen twenty seven. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. We know that by Jesus' day, even the Jewish people weren't speaking Hebrew anymore. Jesus was speaking like this language called Aramaic, and it was probably, the New Testament was written in Greek. So when Jesus says peace here, he's not saying the word shalom, but look me in the eyes and tell me he didn't mean it. He's speaking a different language, but in Jesus' mind, as one who knew the Scriptures, what he's talking about is he's saying, My shalom I give to you because I am the Prince of Peace that Isaiah talked about 2,700 years ago. See what he's doing in this passage. Jesus wasn't just good at peace. He gives it. The Prince of Peace. It's his to give. Peace is his to give to those he wishes. And if peace is this awesome thing that you and I have looked at and we've seen, we go, oh, okay, I need that. And we know that Jesus is the Prince of Feast. And we've got to ask, how can I receive it? Like, who is this for? Who's Jesus willing to give this to? And this is where I want to jump back to our conversation from last week. Because I think it's helpful. If you are here last week, we looked at three passages that become the prototype passages for the coming Messiah. If you remember in Genesis 3.15, God speaking to Adam and Eve and to the, to the serpent. And God tells all of them that one day he's going to, a, a, a descendant of Eve will be a snake crusher. That's what he says. A snake crusher who will do away with the evil and restore God's original intent for creation. Then we went on, we talked about Genesis 12. And God tells Abraham that one of his descendants would have a great name. That's the quote, a great name and would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And then we went forward even more to 2 Samuel 7 and we saw that God tells David that one of his descendants would establish an eternal kingdom. So going back through, that's Genesis 3.15, talking about restoring original intent of God. Genesis 12, talking about the renown among the nations. And 2 Samuel 7, about a reigning king. Those are the, the prototype passages 
for Jesus or the coming Messiah. And the mistake that's been made throughout human history is to only see part of the puzzle in regards to God's promises. For example, the original readers who were, who were hearing Isaiah speak, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, which one of these did they have in mind? We've already made that de- declaration. They had to be thinking Second Samuel 7. A king to reign on the throne and get us going as a nation again. Somebody who's going to restore our nation here, who's going to reign and be good, and the government's going to be on his shoulders. Like All that had a very earthly perspective, a Jewish perspective. Jews during this time were a little ethnocentric at times in their view of things. But this prophecy of a prince of peace was clearly about more than the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah that existed 2,800 years ago. And it's about more than one people group because Jesus, as the prince of peace, was impacting the entire world. Amen? And most Christians would not only see Second Samuel 7 in this, they would also see Genesis 12, not only the kingdom aspect, but the worldwide aspect. The Prince of Peace is going to bring peace not just to one people group, but to all the peoples of the world, regardless of their skin color or their national or, national origin. And like we can stop there and go, that's what the, the Prince of Peace was not just bringing peace to the people of Israel. He was bringing it to all the peoples of the world. But even that's lacking, church. And this is the mistake we make. The biggest misconception that we have as Christians is that what Jesus offers us is a chance at a future something. Hear me on this. The biggest misconception we have is that Jesus gives us an IOU that we get to cash in one day and experience something down the road. For this conversation, let's talk about peace. By trusting in Jesus. If you trust in Jesus today, you are assuring that one day you'll get to experience real peace. At the end of your life or when Jesus returns, you get an IOU and you get to slam it down on the table and go, give me that peace, baby. And I don't know why you say baby to God. I'd be careful. But that's our view. That's what we think. Like this is not what the Bible says. See, we've got to go back to Genesis 3.15 and be reminded that Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, is not just a king, and he's not just a king for all nations. Church, he's the, the snake crusher. He's the one who defeated the, the serpent, who defeated us. He's the one who has brought a restoration of God's original intent for mankind. A huge mistake that we make is thinking that none of that can be experienced here and now. Yes, we all agree one day we can experience peace. When Christ returns for us or we die, whatever, then we can know peace. It's not what God's Word says. It's not what Jesus Himself said. John sixteen thirty three. listen to these words and see if this sounds down the road to you. Jesus is talking to His disciples. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Sound future or present? Present. Thanks for playing along. You all win a prize. You will have suffering in this world, present. But be courageous, present. I have conquered the world, past. Do you see this? Jesus has overcome the world. He's conquered the world. He's crushed the head of the serpent underneath his foot. The whole point of this comment is to help his disciples have peace now. Not a promise of future peace, but of a real peace that is available right now. Jesus, the snake crusher, has made a way for us to experience life in the here and the now in ways that God intended in the garden. And it breaks my heart 
to see so many Christians today live in turmoil. To have a constant upheaval of relationships. To live in fear of the world around them. Or to be stressed out by a mess of their own making. Church, this is not Christ's peace. This is not what he has for you. Be courageous. I have overcome the world. I am the snake crusher. I've not just come to bring peace to one people group. I've not just come to bring to promise peace. Let me start all that over. I have not just come to promise peace to one people group. I've not just come to promise peace to the whole world. I have come to bring peace to the whole world. Man, that's good. Christ's peace is available now to you. Is the world we live in still fallen? Yeah. Are there a bunch of jerks that live in North Alabama that make life hard? Yeah. Like is 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 life is there still suffering in this world? Yes. Do we have to let all of that consume us and control us as believers? No. No, church. I have told you these things so that in Christ you may have peace right now. Why does it matter that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? Because He can bring us peace right now. Real peace. Real, full, wholeness, completeness, peace right now. And if you came in today burdened by what you saw in the news this morning or yesterday or Friday or whatever, if you came in burdened by the world or by jerks in your life or by your community, something that's going on, or by your sin of your own self or by your busyness or by any other thing, can I just lay before you a question today? You need to assess those things. Because if those are not things that are directly honoring God, they are actually things that may be keeping you from His peace that comes in Christ. And now some of those things, maybe you can't just kick to the curb today. Maybe there's some, th- some responsibilities you have to some of those things in your life. Maybe you can't kick that off, but maybe you need to reallocate your time and your passion towards those things. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace who stands ready to help you find real peace right now. So as you, as you, hopefully, uh, the Spirit of God is helping you process through what we've talked about. You may need to pray during this last song. You may need to ask God to help you experience this peace. If you're living a life that's not characterized by this wholeness and completeness in any way whatsoever, God wants you to experience it in Christ. We've got to be willing to assess, reassess the things that are keeping you from it. And some of you maybe are like, man, I'm experiencing God's peace. He's like, this, this season that I'm in right now, like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm feeling it for the first time. Like, then worship God because of that peace during this last song. But to those of you maybe who are not yet following Jesus, first off, an apology. If you're not yet following Jesus, let me apologize to you as a believer. We stink at it. 
And I'm sorry that when you look at us, you don't see us living in peace. But here's what I want you to know. The real peace that all the rest of us are stinking at is freely being offered to you today by a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've, not, if you've never taken that step to say, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to trust in his work on the cross because that's what he did. Here's, here's the bad news. I told you I apologize for something, but now I want to tell you something. If you've not yet trusted in Christ, there is no peace for you. There is no peace because you are actually at odds with the biggest being in the universe, the God of all creation, because your sin, God created us to be with him and our sin has separated us from God and your sin is still there and it's not been atoned for. So it's separated you from God. But what the Bible actually says is that this Prince of Peace, this guy that we call Jesus, that we follow, actually made a way for us to be back here. He's the reconciler of our relationships. And the way he did it was by taking all the sin that separates us from God, all that sin he took in his own body and he died for you. And that when he died, God raised him up to new life and that sin was now gone. And guess what stands between you and God? Not a thing. And you can trust in Jesus Christ today and be restored to him and experience this peace that I've been talking about today, this wholeness, this real life peace here and now. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing another song and the altar will be open for anybody that's come and pray for anything that's going on in their life. You can pray right where you are, sing, worship right where you are, pray with somebody beside you if you feel like you need to, but I'm going to go stand at the back. Amen. If you need to talk to me about anything, you need to come just get some off your chest, but especially if you've never trusted in Jesus and would like to, I'm going to be right back there to your left side of that sound booth. I want to help you find Jesus today, okay? I'm going to say a prayer, and then Patrick and the worship team are going to lead us in this last song. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father God, we do thank you. God, I thank you that uh, there's nothing in my gene pool, there's nothing that I've been trained to do that could give me real peace. Only through my relationship with Jesus Christ have I been able to find any semblance of peace in my life. And God, I'm so thankful for that. And God, I pray as the pastor of this church, God, that you would help me to, 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 to be a, an image of that peace, God, in my daily life, in the way that I lead my family, God, in the way that I'm raising my children, God, that I would teach them what real peace is and who it comes from. And God, I pray that the people of Lindsay Lane East would be known as, as a people of peace. God, when the community around us looks at the people who call East home, that they say, man, I don't know what they got going on, but man, they, they take life different. They, took, they, take, they take difficulty different. They take hardships different. There's something going on, and they want to find out. God, help us to image that well. And God, today, help us to deal with, uh, with you and, and, and talk to you, God, about what's on our heart in regards to our peace and our our shortcomings in it, God. We love you and we thank you for the peace that comes in Christ. Help us, God, to deal with these issues. In Jesus' name, amen. As a stand, let's sing.